Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to the Bauer and Rose Show, our post-Memorial Day program available wherever you get your podcasts, hosted by our good friends at justthenews.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, sign up, listen to us, give us a five-star rating, hit the subscribe button, and recommend us to friend and foe alike. There was a great No, pe- no, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you didn't run that by me. We're only recommending this to friends, my friends. <laughs> what, do you want to get canceled, Rose? What's going on here? Well, then that kind of limits us to uh, an audience in the tens upon tens. Yes. Of well, tens. are you are you suggesting our enemies are legion? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they say: if you've got the right enemies, you're doing the right thing. Yes, but do there have to be so many of them, Tom? That is my question. <laughs> That's the question. Can we just say have one big bad enemy that we have to have? <laughs> I mean, there, I feel like the entire you know DEI complex waits in line to take a punch. <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I want to start today. Obviously, we're going to get into the budget deal. We're going to get into the DeSantis announcement, what it means, if anything. But there was a piece yesterday by our friend Daniel Horowitz. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Daniel Greenfield. I get the, um, you know, yeah. all, the all the Jewish names. The tribe mixed Right. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About Memorial Day that was so powerful. Um, and he, he says, you know, it's been 150 years since our last civil war. And ha- as important as it is to honor our wartime dead, it which it obviously is, Memorial Day has a powerful meaning that we, particularly the left, seems to have forgotten. The holiday was created after the Civil War to help reunite our country. It started with American women from North and South. They entered cemeteries, both federal blue and Confederate gray, to decorate the graves of fallen soldiers. There was no presidential order that this had to happen. There was no regulation. Instead, the mothers and wives and sisters and daughters of the American fallen on both sides came together to reunite the country. And today we've got these leftists that tear down Confederate memorials and flags and statues, and it's not going to end there. They're not going to be sad. It didn't end there, right? right? It it moved on. It you're, moved on. You're absolutely right. I, I, I just thought it was a terrific piece because it demonstrated the power of reconciliation. It's a, it's a meaning for Memorial Day that seems to have been utterly lost. I never thought of it that way until I read this piece. Um, and you've got, you've got two options when you have a bitterly divided country. You can prevent a civil war or you can try to reunite the country after the civil war. We had one civil war. I think that's enough. Well, I, I only wish that uh, our opponents agreed. Exactly. Uh, because what, what they are doing, Tom, literally, and, and every day there's – the evidence just piles up and piles up and piles up. They, they want to make life in America for people like us and at least half the country uh, a, a daily insult, a daily affront. They want everything we hold dear to be laid low. They want everything we despise to be held up. And in case we're not getting the message, they go, oh, yeah, when you take the trash out, be sure to put your children on the curb because we're going to pick them up and indoctrinate them with our worldview about what America ought to be. Now, Tom, there are only two solutions when that is what powerful forces from government to big business to the culture, academe, et cetera. When all of them are united in that particular game plan, uh, 
we are left as people in other nations have been left with only two options. We fight back. Whatever it takes, we fight back. Right now, we're fighting back in the political arena, uh, but who knows where it might head. And then sadly, there has already been violence. I'm not talking about the violence that the left calls violence. They call a parent that goes to a school board meeting and raises his voice as violence. I'm talking about the violence we saw all the years leading up to the Trump Pence administration and during the years of the Trump Pence administration, the violence that continues today, the violence that occurs on university campuses when a conservative comes to speak, how people with MAGA hats were beaten on the streets of America's cities, the violence that took place in the name of social justice in the summer of 2020. They routinely use violence. So we either fight back as much as the overwhelming majority of us don't want to have anything to do with that, or we agree slowly or perhaps quickly to surrender, to just to acquiesce ourselves to becoming second-class citizens, if citizens at all, in the new America that's being constructed all around us. And that's, that's a bad, that's a bad uh, set of options to have, Tom. And I, I really think in some ways it's a reflection of what we're seeing in the Republican presidential nominating uh, battle. Uh, most Americans, most Republicans, most conservatives want to fight back. And, and, in, and, and in this sense, I'm talking about do everything we can legally to push this tide back. Those people right now are, are divided between Donald Trump and, for the most part, Ron DeSantis. And then there's a whole lot of people that look at my friend Tim Scott and say, he's a nice guy. I want him. Or they look at Nikki Haley and say, what a charming, nice woman. I want her. Uh, or there's even a few that go, wow, now Asa Hutchins, that's the guy that can uh, lead our troops up that battle, up that hill into the teeth of men armed with uh, machine guns. Well, Asa will do it. Follow Asa. The Asa you know, Machter. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, there are still people on our side that are yearning to just if we can just sit down and reason together. I, you know, I, I told an audience of my fellow Christians a year or so, Tom, uh, this, and I, I, you know, I, the room was very quiet. Some people came up to me later and said, uh, wow, Gary, I didn't want to hear that, but I think you're right. But there were a lot of people that just kind of shook their heads at me. And what I basically said to this audience of Christians was, you're not going to love our opponents out of their positions. That's it. I mean, I would love if that's all they needed was our love. They will take our love as a sign of weakness and they will double down. At some point, they have to be convinced that we will not give up what all the previous generations of Americans who we memorialized this past weekend fought to the point of death to preserve. You know, there's this. It's so funny on Memorial Day of all days, DHS issues this. Well, some would call it insane. I would call it disgustingly perverse. Issued a warning about the threat to transgender people. That was the result of the transgender shooting of the Christian children at the Christian day school in Nashville, Tennessee. So, According to the DHS, and here's the um, here's the actual language from it, uh, social media chatter celebrating the re the recent mass shooting at the Nashville Church School will lead to ins the inspiration of copycat crimes. So people that express approval for shooting Christian children is an indication that others could follow suit. Therefore, we have to crack down on threats to transgender people uh, apparently transgender terrorist attacks against christian children really demonstrates that the threat is one against transgender terrorists 
Um, not to say that all transgender people are terrorists. Obviously, that isn't what I'm saying. But this person most certainly was a terrorist and was openly uh, a transgender. But the threat is against the shooter and not the Christian children. Do you, do you get it? Because I sure as hell don't. Yeah, it's uh, look, Tom, I could see this coming. We all could. Uh, I know you could, too, that in the aftermath of this horrific shooting by this trans gender individual. And every time I say the word, I want to put quotes around it because you're really not transing, transitioning your gender. Your gender is fixed. There are two of them, male and female. So even using the phrase, a transgender man is playing into their agenda that you can actually, by deforming, mutilating surgery, change who you are in every cell of your body. But at that little aside, aside, uh, there were articles in major newspapers around the country, literally within 48 hours of the shooting at the Christian school, that talked about how such a difficult this time, this time was in Tennessee for the LGBTQ plus community. That, that, I mean, just think of that. How, how perverse do you have to be to be worried about the feelings of the LGBTQ community when one of their community just brutally murdered six Christians? It, well, the reason we're supposed to be worried about it is, well, they're concerned that people will think less of them. They're Nothing about all the parents who are sending their children to religious schools in the city or in or in that state and what a difficult time this is for them worried that there might be other vicious killers like that out there who will go after their children it mirrors our reaction the country's reaction president bush's reaction immediately following 9-11 that the greatest fear from that attack was anti-muslim hate crimes that never materialized because this country is not anti-Muslim and the people who live here are not racists or um, Islamophobe. It's just it's it's part of this process. We saw it late last week when the president this is inside baseball, but I think it's significant when the president issued this new 60 page uh, definition or warning of anti-Semitism. Uh, it's again inside baseball. There's a standard which defines uh, Holocaust, uh, uh, prop- not propaganda, Holocaust definitions. And the White House has been under pressure to issue some kind of guidelines, whether we accept that or we don't accept that. Well, last Thursday, they roll out the 60 page strategy to counter anti Semitism in the United States. And, Gary, if you read it, the only threat to Jews in this country comes from the right. There's absolutely no mention whatsoever that more than 80% of the hate crimes directed against Jews in this country are perpetrated by African-Americans or uh, Muslims. It's it's this four-pillar strategy that they create, which uh, lays all the blame on one side. Obviously, there's some blame on one side. The Tree of Life Synagogue Massacre in 2018, was a right-wing extremist. Uh, But the hundreds and hundreds of other anti-Semitic acts, violent acts against Jews, are perpetrated by classes of people that the White House does not even mention in its formal policy to, quote-unquote, combat anti-Semitism. Tom, this this is the politicization of hate. And, of course, it undermines goodwill efforts by all concern to make sure that hate is, you know, the the least likely thing someone is going to experience in America. Uh, but they they do this that this is all part of the ongoing effort to marginalize us, to dehumanize us, uh, to make our views unacceptable uh, in polite company. In fact, Tom, in its own way, and, and it's always dangerous to use any kind of analogies. Uh, to uh, Germany during the period of rising uh, Nazism. But but this is exactly what was done to Jews 
in the 1930s. The Holocaust didn't happen out of thin air. There were decades, actually, of demonizing and dehumanizing uh, German Jews, comparing them to rats, uh, saying they were guilty of crimes against uh, uh, Gentile children, all sorts of really horrible things, which which made it fertile ground uh, for the, the, the dictator to come along and, and say, I'll take care of the Jewish problem. Well, that is exactly the kind of atmosphere that's being created in America now. Uh, and, it, you know, the Christian nationalism uh, and Orthodox Jews now are, are attacked. I mean, most of those attacks you're referring to uh, against Jews in America take place in America's big cities where Jews walking on the streets with uh, adorned with or wearing obvious symbols of their Jewish faith are singled out to be beaten, robbed, assaulted uh, by young toughs, uh, the kind of young toughs that would make Hitler proud. Uh, the, I, I don't even seen the statistical breakdown, Tom, but I believe most – I mean I'm surmising that both, most anti-Semitic attacks, violent attacks, don't take place in rural Tennessee or you know rural Oklahoma where, quite frankly, there aren't many Jews living. They take place in America's big cities where finding a conservative or a Trump supporter is about as – you know, likely as finding a needle in, uh, you know, a stack of hay. No, it's <laughs> I don't know the statistics and they're probably not kept because you just nailed the statistic. They don't exist. There are no anti-Jewish hate crimes that take place in rural areas or in strong evangelical or Protestant communities anywhere in the country. They're almost all in urban areas, almost all perpetrated by people on the other side of the political divide, be they young toughs or be they Islamists, what have you. And we've got we've got a situation where we we can, and this this is exactly what happened after 9-11, remember? When yes, I do. Sadly, I, I was so angry at George W. Bush, I could scream. As a fact, as I think back on it, Tom, I think I did scream a couple <laughs> of times. I mean, the, one of the first things he does is he goes to visit a mosque in Washington, D.C., takes his shoes off at the door, goes in, and to, to reassure them – that America was not going to war with Islam, when in fact he should have been waiting at the White House for local Islamic leaders to ask to meet with him to assure him and everybody else that America's Muslims were not represented by the terrible event that happened on 9-11. After 9-11, it was the Muslim world that owed us an apology, yet we were the ones that apologized to them our knee-jerk acceptance of the belief that any grievance, all grievances, has to be placated, it's the same thing that's happening now, and that'll lead to our doom. So if you have a grievance, when the use of grievances, no matter how valid or invalid, can be used to justify, validate crime, we're finished. From 9-11 through early 2010, when things started to slow down, there were 7,000 terrorist attacks around the world perpetrated by people shouting Allah Akbar. Now, think about this. If, and again, it, it seems ironic because these are people who believe that gays should be either hung from uh, construction cranes or thrown off buildings, yet they make common purpose with our leftists. And the left has a totally blind eye to... Uh, their social values, which are in direct, direct conflict with the left's quote unquote social values, which can only lead to one conclusion, Gary, and that is that they hate us more than they claim to be for any particular set of values. Because one group that has even stronger traditional values, quote unquote, than we do, some would say perverted values in that extent toward that end are less dangerous than us, that means the war is against us, 
not the values. It's against us. Tom, there's no doubt about that. Look, the uh, uh, the and we both want to be very clear about this. Uh, there, there are millions of Muslims around the world and Muslims, uh, the great majority of Muslims here in the United States that don't want to throw gays uh, off of roofs. Uh, but there is no question that among radical Islamists, those who claim to be the most serious about their faith, they make common cause with the radical left because both see Judeo-Christian civilization or the West uh, as the biggest enemy. Now, as quickly as the West is shedding Judeo-Christian civilization, maybe we'll get to the point relatively soon where we will no longer have to be a target because we don't believe what they are so angry about. No, I mean, this is exactly and it's 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 the same side of this a trans protection uh, moral compass that we saw the DHS issue this warning against over the weekend. We've got a moral inversion going on here, which is not only celebrated, but promoted, defended and enforced by the federal government in which those people who do wrong are excused if they can claim to belong to some kind of a victim group, while those at the receiving end of the wrongs are blamed because they're a member of the oppressive minority. This switches the entire moral paradigm. The aggressor becomes the victim and the victim becomes the aggressor. Well, Tom, this is, you know, this is a narrative. I was talking to my office about this today, interestingly enough, and we're, we're going to uh, probably write about it in, in the daily report that I put out. Um, th- How do people a- get, Bauer always misses these self-promotional opportunities. How do people get your <laughs> newsletter? They, they go to our, the word our, O-U-R, ouramericanvalues.org, and they can uh, sign up uh, to get this daily report in which uh, I'm just sort of pontificating and writing about what you and I talk about regularly on the podcast. Uh, It has no cost, but I will uh, unfortunately have to inform you that once you sign up, that several times a year I will ask you for money 12 times a day, as Tom (laughs) will constantly uh, (laughs) complain about, (laughs) because i got to make up for the salary (laughs) that we don't get for this podcast. (laughs) At at any rate, there there is a filter, Tom. There is a narrative that everything is fit into now. So uh, schools all around the country can teach anti-American history, Uh, They can put in um, this woke agenda that teaches white children they're genetically racist and minority children that they are hopelessly oppressed and will never be able to succeed. And then there's all the junk on, uh, Johnny, you actually may be a girl or Mary, you know, you perhaps you should bind your breasts because, you know, if you feel uncomfortable, it's probably because your parents misgendered you and you're really a little boy. So after COVID or during COVID, parents find out about this insane, disgusting, evil stuff being sent uh, uh, taught to their children with their own tax money being used to subsidize it all. And what do those parents do being good, good Americans? They go to school board meetings. And they, oh, heaven forbid, they raise their voices, Tom. They actually get angry about it. Um, And what happens through all that? A narrative is quickly rolled out. Oh, my goodness. School board members around around America are now facing the threat of violence. The FBI sets up an 800 number. If you think somebody in your neighborhood may be one of these people that goes to the school board meeting and threatens school board members, you can report him here on the 800 number and we'll start an FBI file on him. So it's we are supposed to think it's totally normal, acceptable, totally legitimate to teach our children this poison. But if we speak up about it and exercise the rights guaranteed to us as Americans, and by the way, it doesn't say you have freedom of speech as long as you keep your voice down. It says you have freedom of speech. You're allowed to actually yell in a place called America. 
We become the enemy. We become the terrorists. We become the potential criminal. We're the ones that are investigated. And Tom, you know, we kind of laughed about it. You know, the FBI did this. Oh, my God, the idiots. What a backlash. Well, there was a backlash, Tom. But you know what else happened? Attendance of angry parents at school board meetings dropped precipitously because what family out there trying to figure out how they're going to save money for their kid to go to college, how they're going to pay their mortgage, how they're going to buy that first house with sky high interest rates. There's no average family out there that can take on the expenses of hiring a lawyer to get their name off of some list put together by the Biden administration that lumps you in with domestic terrorists. Yeah, I I, I mean, we are ridiculed, mocked, and uh, disparaged when after one of these horrific mass shootings, we offer thoughts and prayers. Well, guess what? Thoughts and prayers really are the best, if not the only way to stop mass shootings, because these mass shootings... They're a spiritual problem. They're not a political problem. In 1972, 53%, this is the FBI, of American households owned a firearm. There were only two mass shootings that year. Today, 45% of American households own a gun, so it's way down. Yes, there are more households, but the proportion is down. So if guns are the cause, so should the proportion of gun crimes. The issue you know, isn't it? It's back to exactly what what you and I discuss twice a week for God knows how long. <laughs> the, the issue isn't our gun culture. If anything, we have far less of a gun culture today than we did in the past. And I've talked too many times about my high school rifle team. Um, a mass shooting doesn't start at a store; it starts inside somebody's heart. They're much more common today, I think, because our culture has lost. So much of the spiritual, uh, moral and and religious guardrails that used to define what was and was not an acceptable form of of behavior. And you've got tens of millions of unsocialized teenage boys, all kinds of loners with a grudge, crazies and lunatics and radicals of all sorts. So it's much more common now because we live in a... um, I hate to say it, but a post-Judeo-Christian world. So much so that these are more the norm than the exception. I think we've become so much more violent and so much more unhinged because we've propagated this moral inversion, and it's been so successful. It reaches everywhere from the halls of government and Congress and the bureaucracy to the uh, children's clothing line at Target, to uh, 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 the the you know intra inning uh, performances at L.A. Dodger games, it's everywhere. We've and our our wounded soul is only getting more damaged. Where it seems like we're incapable of confronting the deeper crisis that is it's killing us. Well, Tom, I mean, that, that'll preach, as we say, in the evangelical world, and uh, it ought to be preached uh, many more times from the pulpit than it is being preached. We, we have a phenomena going on. It's, it's as ancient as man, mankind itself, whereas the danger increases, the threats increase to normalcy, uh, to uh, our Judeo-Christian culture, there are some that stand up and say, I'm going to fight back because this is what uh, courageous free people do. And sadly, there are others, and it's happening in uh, the – certainly in the evangelical world. I think it's happening in some parts of the Catholic world uh, where there are pastors and priests that are telling their flocks uh, – um, you know, just stay away from all that. Um, you know, we're not really citizens of any place. Uh, um, you, you know, get don't be involved in politics. That's that just divides people. Just be here every Sunday so we can. Uh, How common uh, is that in the evangelical world? I, I would think that's not so common. Maybe the mainline, actually, the mainline Christian world, if you'll forgive me, not only doesn't advocate that people. 
get involved in politics, but they encourage them to get involved in politics on the wrong side. That can't be true in the evangelical world, is it? it uh, I'm sorry to, to break your Jewish heart, Tom, but uh, it is it is true, and it's hard to it's hard to measure it exactly, but it is true, and it is growing. Um, so we haven't a turned of, a corner, then. No. No, you, you you see a lot of it in the mega churches um, where, you know, the emphasis is on being a welcoming church, getting people in the door. Then once you get them in the door, you'll give them the real uh, uh, Christian message, except you never get to that point because there's always somebody new coming in the door. And um, it, it's, you, you know, you I mean, I, I've gotten uh, – I've gotten emails and messages my entire work in the public arena, Tom, on these issues. Uh, I, I get them from the left, which are hateful and nasty and threatening. But if a week doesn't go by that I don't get messages from fellow Christians saying, Gary, I just wish you would sit down and shut up. All you're doing is, war, you know, making it harder for people to hear the message of Jesus Christ. I don't know why you're so divisive, Gary. We need to love everybody. And on and on and on it goes. Uh, Tom, I remember uh, Jim Dobson and I years ago uh, went after an abortionist uh, in the state of either Iowa or Kansas who specialized in late term abortions. He literally put up billboards in which he advertised if you were in the sixth, seventh, eighth month of pregnancy and decided you didn't want that kid, come to him because that's the abortions he specialized in. So, man, we went after him. We went after him hard. We get a letter from his fellow deacons at the evangelical church he attended attacking Dr. Dobson and I because we had attacked a fellow Christian who specialized in wringing the life out of babies in the seventh month of gestation. This is 35 years ago, Tom. Hmm. So, yeah, the same poison is there everywhere. It seeps in to every heart. And as the temperature gets turned up, more and more people out of fear will fall for this, will tell themselves they, they just want to show love when, in fact, what's going on is, oh, man, I want to keep my head down. Look what's happening to the people uh, that speak up. They're in trouble. Their churches are being attacked, et cetera. You know, after Roe versus Wade was overturned, I mean, that was a 50-year battle, and we won the battle. Right. And I, I looked with interest and horror at the fact that there were churches all over America that were attacked by the radical left in the wake of the overturn of Roe versus Wade. But then I noticed something else that a lot of churches, nothing happened. I didn't want it to happen. But I thought, well, why did that church get you know, desecrated? But the church four blocks away Nothing happened. And so I started poking around. The churches that got desecrated were the churches that had been speaking out from the pulpit about the sanctity of life. The churches that nothing happened to them were churches that stayed away from those controversial. Is, is there a Christian parallel or evangelical parallel to what uh, we are seeing in the American Jewish community as? And I think it's very positive, particularly uh, Orthodox synagogues. Uh, there, ha- as you know, Gary, there have been a spate of attacks, uh, violent attacks against Orthodox synagogues, shootings. Mm-hmm. Attendance at Orthodox synagogues is way up. Yes. Um, it's there, there's a it, it's almost a defiant. You're not going to keep us out attitude. Is there anything parallel to that going on in the evangelical world? Yes. Yes, there is. Uh, and. uh Ironically, some of it gets back to COVID when so many churches. Excellent point. Good point. Yeah, shut down, right? Uh, now, look, I, again, I, I understand why a church might decide on their own 
uh, look, we're going to limit services. We're going to ask our older parishioners uh, to stay home and worship online. But for our young parishioners uh, who aren't at great risk from COVID, we will be here worshiping in person. Um, so there, there were churches that did that. And uh, they were attacked by state governments, local governments, the federal government. But those churches made it through. They fought back. And now they are experiencing explosive growth. And many of the churches that shut down have never gotten back to the previous attendance they enjoyed before COVID. Yeah, that's that's exactly the same in my community. Well, talking about explosive growth, I can't let you go without some kind of analysis on this uh, debt ceiling uh, agreement. The White House, as you know, and uh, House Republicans reached a quote-unquote agreement um, to raise the debt limit. The House is going to vote tomorrow, Wednesday. Uh, the Senate, if it passes Thursday, where it'll need 60 votes. Rather than raising the debt limit to a specific number, this agreement suspends the limit entirely for two years, meaning Congress can spend as much as it wants. I kind of thought that was what Congress was already doing. Anyway, there won't be a new debt limit until the suspension expires. I think that was a huge win for Biden. Uh, Democrats kept every dollar for their climate agenda, their woke policies, and they get they get to keep 85,000 of the 87,000 new IRS agents that they're going to hire. Now, on the flip side, federal spending will remain flat, according to this deal, in 2024 and grow no more than 1% in FY 2025, which if adjusted for inflation, which everybody expects is going to continue, that would represent a cut. But um, other than that, and again, after 2025, all bets are off and you know spending can explode again. Um, and in exchange for that, we get a new natural gas pipeline in West Virginia, and some minor work requirements for able-bodied young single men. A deal like this always is going to annoy the far left. It's going to annoy, you know, strong conservatives. What are your thoughts on it, um, and what are its prospects? Uh, You know, Tom, I I find myself torn. I mean, I think on any reasonable basis, this is not a great deal. It's nothing to write home about. I signed a letter with about 40 other conservative leaders uh, last week, urging McCarthy to to stand his ground. Um, I, I I remember I'm, I I recall uh, when we went into one of the wars in the Middle East. I, I don't know if it was Weinberger or somebody said, "You go to war with the army you've got." Right. Well, we went into this negotiation with the uh, with the power that we had, and it is very slim power indeed. We don't have the White House. Uh, we don't have the Senate, which is tragedy, tragic. And we've got a five seat majority in the House of Representatives. That that's a weak hand. And that, you know, that that's playing poker. And, and you got a, a two, a four, a seven, a nine and, you know, something else. Uh, uh, so. You know, if if you had to make an excuse for for the the outcome, that would be the excuse. But I, I think it's a huge mistake uh, to walk around acting like this is some sort of gigantic victory. The only thing you could say with the victory in all this is that Biden said for uh, virtually this entire year he would accept nothing other than what he called a clean debt ceiling increase that in fact that would be the dirtiest debt ceiling increase you could get because they would continue to be able to trash our country economically uh so he was he wasn't willing at least his stated public position was he wasn't willing to accept anything and finally he had to accept some things but tom i i think you could have maybe i'm wrong but i think you could have 40 or 50 uh, House Republicans vote against this, which means that it'll pass with about, you know, um, a third of the Republicans and um, and half of the Democrats voting for it. I think that analysis, I agree with completely. And I think you might have buried the lead in your analysis. I think the big mistake coming out of it is I agree with you. It, it might have been the best we could get. But rather than painting a realistic gloss look folks we got a five seat majority just as you laid out 
um, Republican efforts to paint this as some kind of a huge victory, I think, is very counterproductive. It, it really um, it shifted the terms of the debate over the debt ceiling. But at the end of the day, we get a 0.2% cut in spending just this year. That's, you know, $50 billion over a $7 trillion budget. That's one-fifth of 1%. It's not even going to put a debt in a dent in our long-term debt trajectory. And rather than saying, look, um, this is uh, an opportunity to turn, you know, chicken excrement into uh, chicken salad. Well, it's not quite chicken salad, but it's the best we could have done under the circumstance. And it is a, a painful reminder to the American people how critically essential it is that Republicans increase their majorities in both the House and the Senate, and that we elect a Republican president in 2024. Yeah, no, no question, Tom. And it'll be interesting to see whether if McCarthy's able to get this through the House, how long it takes him to pivot to, uh, look, we made some progress with that deal, but it is nowhere near what it needs to be. That's why November of 2024 is so important, because otherwise you'll take all the debt issues off the table if you act like we just solved the problem. We didn't just solve the problem. Exactly. The federal government is 40 percent bigger than it was before the COVID pandemic. Think about that, Tom. That is, that's a faster growth rate than you know, Amazon. I mean, it's, it, is a, it is a very depressing, a very depressing figure. So, um, but, but Tom, look, I, I want to remind folks, we got that five vote majority in the House, but do we really? Because five of the votes we picked up in the House, five of the seats we picked up, we're in New I think four of the five were in New York State in districts we did not expect to win. And just last week, there was a, a, a bill pending in the House that would have raised tariffs on Chinese communist made solar panels. So it would have protected the American solar panel industry from the subsidized panels that are pouring into the country from communist China, the vote to put the tariffs on Tom failed. Every Democrat voted against putting the tariffs on these Chinese communist solar panels. And so did eight Republicans, including the four or five from New York State. So in something that I think should have been an easy vote, you had a handful of Republicans voting to protect the Chinese communist solar panel industry. Go figure. (laughs) We're running out of time, but I do want to touch on this because we haven't had a chance to talk about it. The DeSantis announcement with um, Elon Musk last week. I've got a contrarian view. Uh, All the hand ringers that, you know, DeSantis ruined his presidential bid by the disastrous rollout. Um, I can only respond to that by contrasting DeSantis's launch with what everyone at the time regarded as the greatest presidential campaign launch event in history. And that was in 2019 when Kamala Harris announced she's running for president. She had 20,000 people in the audience. It was a great media event. She proceeded not to win a single Democrat primary vote. So I don't think, uh, if anything, all the media about the DeSantis announcement may, in fact, drive more people to watch. It's all up there now. And it was actually once the snafus got ironed out, it was, a, I thought, a very uh, positive uh, event for DeSantis. He got to talk policy for over an hour, and I thought he was very impressive. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Tom, that it was overblown. I mean, uh, we were, we're, you know, we used to joke that we're on a 24-hour news cycle. My goodness, it's almost become an hour news cycle. <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you gotta pontificate about everything, right? I, if the guy is able to put a, a, a ground game together in Iowa. New Hampshire, South Carolina, 
he, he, you know, he's, he's going to be a, and he already is a credible candidate. There's going to be a long battle and hopefully, however, that battle comes out with a, a bunch of good people running. It doesn't uh, destroy the Republican Party so badly or harm it so badly that we're not able to come together and uh, defeat the guys that want to take America into a, a direction that you and I outline, hopefully effectively. Uh, twice a week, uh, uh, warning people and urging people to do everything they can to to fight that vision of America that the left has. So, yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, it, 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 you know, most people have probably already forgotten it. Uh, and certainly before this week is over, we'll, we'll be on to the next fiasco, whatever it is. I mean, I think we've got in these two leading candidates, President Trump and Governor DeSantis, an embarrassment of riches. I mean, I'd frankly be thrilled with either one of them. I really would. <laughs> you don't want to mention anybody else? Well, sure, of course. All kinds of yeah. people. I mean, but yeah, the yeah. but the Asa Machter, I mean, you might, you know, you. I, what about an Asa Hutchison Chris Christie ticket? Yeah, well, <laughs> how, I, Asa's got to ask himself, does he really want to be a human hors d'oeuvre? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chrissy has no discipline, my friend. I mean, the guy has the surgery, the whole bit, and he's gained another governor. I mean, he's, you know, he's like, and I, I don't know what either. What animates these people that know they have yes. absolutely no, I mean, what, what animates them? I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, I held no elected office and I ran in 2000 and I had a very, a specific purpose for running. I wanted to hold George W. Bush's feet to the fire. And I did on the sanctity of life, on court appointments and drum roll on trade with communist China. He was all for it and I was all against it. So I, I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. There were only three or four days that I, my head hit the pillow thinking to myself, you know, I could actually get the nomination and win, but I stopped drinking every time that happened. So, uh, but I, I don't understand. Look, I, I would put Governor Sununu in the same category. What What is that about? Does he think he hears a, a chorus around the country, what America needs is Sununu? I, I mean, I, I just don't get it, Tom. I, I don't know if it's just exercises and ego stroking or if they think i mean you know well maybe lightning will hit lightning will have to hit the same place eight times <laughs> before it gets to these people i don't know i mean maybe they have I, I the sununu thing baffles me because the first in the nation primary of course not for democrats because they were afraid biden might lose so they they uh again yes. are rigging their own process but for us for republicans for conservatives I think he's in fourth place in his own state, isn't he? He's way behind. He's way behind DeSantis. Yeah. And uh, not a, uh, forget about Trump, who's at, I think, over 60 percent. Uh, well, ex exactly. Look, now there are uh, one possible explanation for a number of these candidates says they're auditioning to be vice president. And uh, I can think of a, a couple one one that, you know, he would probably punch me in the nose. If you heard me say this, but I think Tim Scott I agree. is is purely uh, auditioning to be vice president. I suspect Nikki Haley is, too. And I don't think you'll hear either one of them say very many bad things about Donald Trump uh, right. because that's what they're doing. And that's uh, where there's a unique role uh, for our friend, uh, Vice President Pence. He talk about a guy. I mean, you mentioned how you're running purely on principle. You ran purely on principle. Uh, so is Vice President Pence. I mean, he has uh, ideas and beliefs and values and principles that are you know rooted in our conservative tradition. The polls, you know, are not favorable to him at all. He is as sharp as sharp can be in reading polls. He understands clearly what the obstacles are. Uh, there is no. Um, there's no uh, divergent agenda. His only purpose is to promote his values. He knows he's not going to be vice president, uh, and, he, right. and he knows the odds are long uh, to win. But stranger things, certainly a lot stranger things have happened. So um, well, I, think that, I think that's where he has to be separated from the rest of the crowd in, in, in that I, sense. 
Yes, I, I, I agree. And look, I would remind people, I know there's you know some obvious anger that all gets back uh, to January 6th, anger that goes both directions, obviously. Uh, but during the entire Trump uh, uh, Pence administration, uh, Mike Pence was held in high esteem by the overwhelming majority of the people that held Donald Trump in high esteem. Uh, and uh, I can imagine a, a number of other potential nominees for the presidency if it doesn't work out for uh, uh, former Vice President Pence, who would want Mike Pence uh, in their cabinet, uh, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense. Uh, there's a, a number of important roles he could play. Um, you know, I'm just thinking of this hadn't crossed my mind before, but you, you remember that uh, former uh, senator and uh, governor uh, uh, of Kansas, uh, uh, Brownback, uh, was appointed as uh, Trump's religious freedom uh, envoy uh, in charge of the whole world. You know, going around the world, speaking out for religious liberty and so forth. That that would be a wonderful thing uh, for uh, for Mike Pence to do in some future role. So I, you know, I think he will be. He's a young man. He will be on the political scene. Whatever happens in this common in, in this competition for a, a long, long time. Um, and I, you know, I. I would remind everybody, you know, this movement that we're all part of is not so big uh, that we can spend our time uh, you know, riding people out of it. Uh, we, we need to uh, fight among ourselves when the issues are important, do the best we can to stay true to our principles. Uh, but then at the end of the day, we, we've got to unite, swallow hard, uh, make common cause as best we can and prevent this good and decent country uh, from being um, from having it ha what happens to it being the the equivalent of the transitioning movement today with our children that there are people out of there that want to take this decent constitutional republic and transition it into a socialist European model uh, w which will be deadly and I'm Tom I'm counting on every cell of the body of this nation, having deep inside of it that part that says, no, we are free men and women. Uh, there is nothing they can do to us that will make us accept that transition. Saving the best for last, as always, ladies and gentlemen, Gary Bauer, we are way over. I mean, sorry, <laughs> way, way over, but I, I couldn't possibly, I wouldn't dare have interrupted that because that was beautiful. Anyway, we got a skedaddle. So I agree, Tom. I'm, I have, I'm running out of coffee and I need to <laughs> refill the tank here. <laughs> anyway, we will talk to you in a couple of days. Hear that? That's the sound of change being cooked up in our schools. Each day, school food professionals throughout California are working to make better meals for our kids, one tray at a time. These meal planning, sauce stirring, taste bud training professionals are making food for students from kindergarten to high school using fresher ingredients and flavors kids love. The secret ingredient to better school food in California? The dedicated professionals who are improving it every day. Learn more about how they're cooking up change at schoolfoodpros.org. Grant provided by California Community College's Chancellor's Office.